When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. I am still in Detroit, uh, waiting for a flight home. Bruce left right after the game. Uh, So we were there, the game we'd all been waiting for, Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan wins 30-24. to Um, I've got impressions. You've got impressions. What was your biggest takeaway? You know, it was an awesome game. It was, was, I thought it was a... It was a fun atmosphere. It was the most intense game that I've been at this year. Obviously, there was a lot of drama swirling with all the stuff with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh going into the game. There was a lot of back and forth. The thing I I felt, Stu, was, um, you know, to me, Marvin Harrison Jr. was the best option Ohio State had. There were times when I wondered, especially after Will Johnson, who's a really good cornerback, who'd been matched up on him much of the game until he got hurt that man why are they not going you know just feeding him as much as possible um but then at the end of the the day you know what you looked at is michigan is so committed to grinding an opponent out and they are they are playing the long game with it they're going to wear you down and wear you down and then there was that moment where and just being on the field for it when the crowd goes silent, Zach Zinter, who's a standout offensive lineman for Michigan and one of the guys who came back who could have gone to the NFL last winter, um, it's a gruesome injury. He's down. All the players are really emotionally, um, you know, really moved and reeling from this. And when he leaves the field, you know, he, he puts his fist up and gets carted off up the tunnel. In the very next play, Blake Corum breaks the longest run he has of the game, scores a touchdown. And I felt like at that point it was like Michigan, whether whether they – it just kind of zapped a lot of the energy I felt like out of Ohio State because it wasn't that long before that. It was maybe five minutes before I went over to, to see Tom Rinaldi on the Ohio State sideline, and they had just scored, and they had really run it down Michigan's throats on the previous series. And Michigan, you know, then came back and and basically took the game. And that's that's just how it felt to me. Um, it would have been interesting to watch that game, I guess, outside. We were inside the press box, and it's one of those press boxes that kind of seals the sound out a little bit. So it was hard to tell. I'm sure it was very loud. It was hard to tell from in the press box. But it is kind of crazy that, I mean, Ohio State had the ball with a chance to drive for the win. And I just didn't think it was going to happen uh, because I thought Michigan was the better team all day because I didn't have confidence Kyle McCord could do that. And he did end up throwing an interception. Um, you know, the theme to me and I wrote about it was for all the, for all the, uh, you know, the fact that Jim Harbaugh being suspended was initially viewed by Michigan as such a huge punishment that they were going to take them to court. 
Sharon Moore aced. If this was an audition, I mean, he aced it. Biggest game of the year. He just flat out outcoached Ryan Day. Michigan played loose and confident. Um, he had trick plays. He had, I'm guessing he waited all year to break out the freshman quarterback who ran for 20 yards. And Ohio State's punting on fourth and one and kicking a 52-yard field goal before the half instead of trying to get another first down. It just, you know, it's like the rivalry has flipped completely from those years when Ohio State seemed to be in Jim Harbaugh's head and they just couldn't handle them in those games. I mean, I think it's flipped. Ryan Day played scared. Michigan played loose and confident and aggressive and did what they needed to do to win. You know, it's 30 to 24 is the final score. It's a close game, no doubt. They didn't blow them off the field like they did at the end of the game last year. You know, I just think that's in large part because Ohio State's defense is a lot better. But Michigan never trailed. They were the better team. They're going to go on to the playoff because they're going to just crush Iowa. And Ohio State is going to probably go to the Orange Bowl. And, you know, talking to people before the game, it kind of dawned on me that we will never have another Ohio State-Michigan game with as high a stakes as that one, right? Or one team season is over. If this were next, if this same exact game happened next year, I mean, think about we're going to spend the next 365 days, right? Ryan Day can't beat Michigan. He wins all his other games. What is he going to do? If this were next year, well, he could try again the next week. They'd already be, we would already know they're playing in Indianapolis, which uh, is probably a flaw in the system that needs to be addressed. That is, that's a really good point, Stu. Um, First on Sharon Moore, I think he's a guy that people inside the program there have raved about for a long time now. He's done a really good job as an offensive line coach. I thought they, you know, they feed off Jim, to be honest. I mean, I really think they do. And he gets it, you know, and you saw the emotion just pouring out of him when they beat Penn State on the road. And I think what I saw just from observing him, well, let me take one little step back. So, you know, just being on the field for a lot of games over the last 10 years, you know, kind of stuff. Sometimes you you have this kind of sort of interaction with players right before the game. You know, it could be people you may have interviewed or people you may have covered. So I was leaving. I was going down to the field for I had a TV hit at like 930, 30 Eastern. So I'm walking down on the to go down on the field. And at some point I had come back and I saw Blake Corum coming up and Blake Corum was locked in. Now I've interviewed him. I don't think he knows me or remembers me or whatever, but like we're the only people up in the tunnel. And I could see somebody coming from in the distance following him, you know, probably 20 feet past. And here comes JJ McCarthy and he is loose as can be, you know, he makes eye contact. He's like smiles. He's like, all fired up you know but like it's almost like this is like he played really well i thought you know he's really efficient he's never going to be in this system going to put up bo nicks numbers but he makes plays with his legs he had been hobbled you know against penn state and then last week certainly and looked better but he made some key throws and ultimately that would to me was where I thought that they had the best chance to win was I thought they now last year, CA Stroud who's fantastic was the guy there and JJ was a first time starter and it was on the road this time. 
uh, JJ was the one and, you know, like that you're looking at going, oh, there's a big edge there. And it wasn't to say Comacore didn't make some good throws because he did, but there were some, some other ones that, that, that cost them. But I thought you have such a, such a confidence there, you know, with those guys who, you know, who've come through it. But I think also JJ is a really good fit for, you know, the leadership by proxy without Jim there. And um, our buddy Ari Wasserman did an interesting column. I saw it this morning. I didn't see it yeah. previously. Ari loves to rile people up. That's for sure. Yeah. And about, it was about basically about the recruiting decision that Ryan Day and Ohio State made four years ago when it came down to not taking J.J. McCarthy, who grew up wanting to be a Buckeye, and instead going with Kyle McCord. And no doubt, you know, if you're looking at that decision now, you'd be like, oof, they picked wrong on that. Yes, but I'm going to give Kyle McCord a little bit of slack. It's his first season as the starter. Um, you know, he he will come back next year and he may be a lot more polished, a lot better. Most impressive player on Ohio State for me yesterday. I realize Marvin Harrison's their best player, but uh, Cade Stover. Um, I think you said on this podcast a while back, he might be the best tight end other than Brock Bowers. Yeah, and I'm I'm inclined to agree with you after that. The other thing I would just say is there's such a different. This has always been the case, you know, for um, when you live online and on Twitter, it's so different than in real life. Don't do that, Stu. Don't do that. What do you mean? Don't live on Twitter. I wish I didn't. Um, press conference afterward with the coat with more with the players. They did get asked a little bit about the scandal. But it's like it's not happening there. You know, we the, online, on the comment, everybody's been obsessed with this story for weeks. There, you would never even know it's happening. And I don't fault them for that. Um, you know, it's certainly not the player's problem. But Can I ask you off that, though? Like, yeah. they've had this for three weeks. Yeah, I you think know, they're over it. I, I think this is, in some regard, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Because it's like, you know, Max and I did that extensive survey with all the coaches, you know, like the week this stuff started to, not the week, the week after it started to really blow up. And um, I think if you ask a lot of people at Michigan, and sure, this is a biased opinion, but I'm talking about not just the people inside the program. Like, you know, I've gotten to know a bunch of former players from there. And one of the things that I, I suspect they will, they will say now, and they, I talked to one of them right after the game on the field is... All that talk about this, there was no signal stealing, no Connor Stallions, no none of this. We didn't even have Jim. We still won. Right. We still beat Penn State at Penn State. And we handled Ohio State. Like it's three in a row. You want to say whatever you want to say about the other two. Now, what do you say about this one? I don't and think anybody will ever be able to set, quantify what advantage, if any, all that gave them. All we know is that it was a rules violation. I get um, it, but I'm saying yeah. to you, like in retrospect, the fact that they won and won this game and beat Penn State and did it without Jim Harbaugh. I get it. You know, it's like this is this is a specific rule, but the fact that this happened, do you think it makes you look at, you know, the chatter about the advantage of this differently? No, because I've never been throughout this. I've just never really been focused on that. If but you anything, the guy who said that they should they should that they should ban the players at one. Point. Yeah, but it's possible to have two thoughts at once. Like 
they broke the rules. They did something in direct violation of the rules that affected the integrity of the game. But I have no idea what kind of advantage. I mean, certainly the games earlier this season where they were blowing people out, I don't think that was because of sign stealing. Did it help them in, let's say, last year's Michigan game or last year's Illinois game, which was really close? Possibly. But we'll never be able to quantify that. But it also kind of doesn't matter, right? The rule is the rule. So I ask, the other thing I would just say is one thing that's very unique about this Michigan team is it's like all seniors. You, you don't see that in college football anymore with the transfer portal. Their entire starting offense, basically, maybe with one exception, is seniors. Defense has a couple underclassmen, like Will Johnson. Well, they, have, they have more. Yeah, Will Johnson, Grant is an underclassman. Yeah. They have a bunch of guys there. They have a bunch of seniors, too. So I think that maybe something like this might have affected a younger team more. But like these guys have been playing for four years or more. They've been through Ohio State games. They've been through playoffs, Big Ten championships. Like they just it doesn't seem like much of anything phases them. So, um, you know, they they seem like at this point the team which we can go ahead and pencil into the uh, college football playoff with some, you know, uncertainty in the other spots, though, yet again. And I thought yesterday was the most exciting Saturday of the season so far, but it still ended with no major upsets. Now, with one play left to go, fourth and forever, you know, I'm like, okay, I guess the big upset we've been waiting for was Alabama losing to an Auburn team that got crushed by New Mexico State the week before. like it. Only at Jordan Hare Stadium, kind of, you know, fluky thing. And then Jalen Moreau to Isaiah Bond. Just an astounding play. I mean, kind of Alabama's answer to the kick six 10 years later. And now they go into the SEC championship game with their playoff hopes intact. Uh, I had a very unique vantage point. Can I tell you where I watched that from? Sure. So across from... Michigan Stadium is Pioneer High School, which is it, which is where we had thousands big. of people park. Yeah, the big noon set was there. And when I parked my car, it was daylight and it seemed very obvious. Oh, I'm right behind the baseball field. No problem. But of course, when I got back at night, it was pitch black. Almost all the cars had already left. I could not find my car. I wandered around that place for an hour. And while I did, I had the iron ball on my phone. And when it happened, I just kind of assumed I was on a delay, right? Because I'm on my phone and I'm like, oh my God, you know, this already happened. And then I look on Twitter and it's like, no, everybody else is seeing it in real time too. It's just one of those plays that you'll always, I mean, I'll always remember that play. That is, that was legendary. And how cool for Jalen Monroe, the guy that got benched earlier in the season that he's now, um, you know, he's going to forever be an Iron Bowl hero. You know what my vantage point for that play was? Airplane. Sitting on a plane across across from Rob Stone and Clatt and a couple of our uh, producers, but you were able to see it. No, no, oh, I no. Able to see it. Are they, you know, we. I don't know if we had Wi-Fi yet. So they, one of them said, "Oh, you know, I was trying to fill in." So I, I, you know, for four and a half hours, there was not a lot of football I saw. Um, but that entire so that entire sequence was crazy. The the fumbled snap. Word for it. Uh, the fumbled. That's why I'm filling you in, Bruce. Here's what happened on second and eleven. The snap went flying past Jalen Monroe. Uh, not second eleven, second and goal. Uh, for you know, and then then the net on third down, he illegal forward pass. He crossed the line. 
which backed them up to fourth and goal from the 31. Like, that's ne- you're never going to complete that, but they did. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, You know, look, this thing just keeps playing to chalk. And if the season ended today, it would be about as clean as it gets for the committee with four undefeated Power 5 teams. But we have one week left for potential chaos and the most chaotic scenario at this point would be Alabama beating Georgia and Florida State winning. I think a lot of people watching the Florida State-Florida game last night were just waiting for them to either lose or to play so badly that we could just write them off. Well, they're not one of the four best teams without Jalen Miller. I mean, without Jordan Travis, um, who, by the way, they kept showing him up there all alone. Like, why was nobody watching the game with him? Um, but they took they, they took the game in the end, and... I don't see how they can leave them out if they beat a 10-2 Louisville team next week to finish 13-0. However, I also don't see how they can leave Georgia out as a 12-1 team that lost to an 11-1 team at the end of the season. And there might not be room for both. You can't leave an undefeated team out from a power conference that also, by the way, would have beaten maybe the third best team in your conference by like 30 points. I'm with you. But if it's Michigan... Let's say Washington wins, they're in. That's two. Uh, that's two. Alabama, obviously, if they win the game, will be in. Sorry, Georgia. So you're saying Georgia's Georgia's fall well, way, from on one to five. Like, yes. So here's here's the problem with that, Stu. Again, we're not talking about a one-loss team versus a one-loss team. We're talking about a power five champ and that is undefeated. But, like, here's the thing that, again, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm doing this right now. The best win Georgia has is home against Ole Miss. Now they did beat Missouri. That's those are you know Missouri's. Those are good teams. Those teams both finished ten and two. I get it. Um, uh, Tennessee finished eight and four. Um, no, and again, this is not just and this is not your you know uh, typical one loss team in this scenario would be the two time defending champions I get it Stu. But I, I don't there's no way to predict i mean they've never faced a situation like this never and um you know on the one hand like let's say florida state beats louisville 10 to 9 then that might be an out they'll say it's just they're just not one of the four best teams anymore sorry guys but i i don't think the committee i don't think they'd have the stones to do that I think they would say this team went 13 and 0. They earned a spot in the playoffs. So now there's a lot of scenarios that can play out that would render this moot, uh, obviously. I would think the committee would really like Louisville to win this week so they can avoid that scenario. Although if Georgia beats Alabama, you also avoid that scenario. If Georgia beats Alabama and Louisville beats Florida State, so then we'd have assuming Michigan wins, assuming Texas wins. Assuming Georgia wins, that's three. Washington would be four, right? Yeah, it gets more complicated if Oregon beats Washington. No, I, I, where it would yeah. get complicated to me, let's say a Pac-12 champ is going, the Big Ten, you know, Michigan is going, Georgia is going. And this is a big if. 
But if somehow Texas loses, who is that team? Is it Ohio State falls back into it? I am missing something. Texas is so squeezed out right now. I'm failing to see the scenario where if Texas loses, that's a problem for them. No, I'm saying I'm saying this. Texas and Florida State lose? Yes, I'm sorry. So Florida State loses and Texas loses. Then you're sitting there with a Pac-12 champ, a Big Ten champ, and a SEC champ. Does, Mm -hmm. Does Ohio State end up going? So let's see who the, who would the choices be at that point? Two um, loss Texas, two loss Alabama. Neither one I think would go. Did Washington or Oregon win in this scenario? Because if Oregon won, you'd have twelve and one Washington. Uh, yeah, and they would have had a win over that. Yeah, I mean that's. I'm thinking aloud as it seems like you are. I think if Ohio State makes it, people are going to be like, "I'm done with this." They 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 won one game of consequence. Um, what do you mean they're done with it? It's like they're moving on from four anyway. What's different? Yeah, that? it's true. But like they got in last year because there just weren't any other good options. You would, after this season where we've had so many, you know, this top eight just keeps winning. But I guess if if chaos finally reigns in the last weekend, yeah, a spot uh, a spot could open up for them. It just hasn't Texas, been that kind of season. I don't think, and Texas. I don't think Texas lose. Texas is here's the thing. Texas is really good, and if they get left out which kind of looks like they will right now. I, I That might be the best team that's gotten left out of a playoff. I know everybody points to 2015 Ohio State because they were loaded, but that team didn't really do anything to earn it. Texas would at least, Texas would have beaten Alabama on the road and uh, a couple top 25 teams in the Big 12 and just miss out because they there's just not room for them. I know... You know, Texas fans are saying, hey, why is Oregon above us? And, you know, Oregon whooped Oregon State the other night. And we'll get into the Jonathan Smith situation in a second. Oregon is so um, dominant and so highly respected that this jumped out at me. You know, uh, the, Jimmy Shapiro is the like PR guy for the sports books who always hits us up with the opening lines. And I opened my email Sunday morning. Oregon is a nine and a half point favorite. No, nine point favorite against Washington who they lost to earlier in the season, who is undefeated. I do think Oregon will win. I think they're the better team. I think Michael Penix has not been as um, strong a quarterback over the second half of the season. But nine points is a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I, 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 think I'm, I think because Washington has sputtered so much, I'm ex- and it's so hard to beat somebody twice. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. I won't be shocked if Washington beats them. Well, I'll be I, mean, I know I wouldn't be shocked, but I'll be a little surprised to be honest. But I think that, um, like Washington deserves all the props in the world. They are the first team to go undefeated in Pac-12 play since Oregon in 2010. And this is in a year where we all think that the Pac-12 was pretty strong. Um, you know, they had to face some really good quarterbacks along the way to do it. But they have, it has felt like they've been a little bit charmed over the back half of the season. And, uh, you know, if you saw the game yesterday or the end of the game yesterday, first of all, Washington State's five and six. If Washington is one of the four best teams in the country, they really have no business being in a close game with these guys right down till the end. But what uh, you, oh, wait a minute. But we just saw an Auburn team that yes. lost New Mexico State handily. Yeah. And they had Alabama on the ropes. So how do you well, say Well, you know what? That's, that's, you're right. Like, that's rivalry games. Like the whole, it's a cliche, but the throw out the records thing really does hold up in a lot of these rivalry games. And especially, I mean, Wazoo, 
you know, this is this was their Super Bowl, given what, what's been happening with the expansion. Anyway, it's fourth and one. And, you know, Kalen DeBoer is one of these guys who, who goes for the goes for the wind. And it's fourth and one in deep in their own territory to the point where if they don't get it, they're just handing Washington State the game winning field goal. And they break out one of the best play calls I've ever seen where, uh, you know, Penix fakes the handoff to Dylan Johnson. And if you weren't watching closely, you didn't notice that Roma Dunze was running a sweep behind it. Penix twists his body around, tosses it to him. Nobody's anywhere near him. And of course, they march down and kick the game winning field goal. So, look, they keep getting it done. Uh, they, 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 it's close games, but they keep winning. But now they're running into an Oregon team that is just, we talked about them last week, like just hitting on all cylinders in every aspect and have been ever since the first Washington game. Uh, Bo Nix's stats are insane. They're also number three in the country in rushing average. And uh, they are rushing yards per play, I should say. And they are 12th in the country in defense. I mean, this, this to me is the team that if they can get in the playoff, I would give the best chance. You know, if you say who other than Georgia has the best chance to win it all, I would actually say Oregon, more, more so even than Michigan. But they got to win this game. And then there would be a little bit of uncertainty, but I think the committee made it pretty clear. They think Oregon's better than Texas. Oregon's got a chance to beat a 12 and 0 team, whereas Texas gets nine and three. Oklahoma State, who needed a frantic comeback to beat, you know, a, a bad team yesterday. So it is what it is. Like Texas is just it, it, barring, you know, chaos, it's gonna get squeezed out here. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, too, as as we're talking about some of these games. Because we, I missed so much of yesterday, especially as you said, the Iron Bowl, uh, the Apple Cup. There was just a lot. Um, I was curious: was anything? Because we focused a lot on what happened yesterday. Anything get your attention from Friday games? Well, the the end of the Iowa Nebraska game was like comically entertaining. It was also like so vintage those two teams right now there was moments i'm sitting there with felica in our truck on friday we had a production meeting and you're watching this where like just don't throw it just go play for overtime and and then there's a pick and then there's another pick and you're like as soon as it was clear he was actually gonna throw down field i mean i, I was like he's gonna get intercepted and he did and then as soon as Perry passed i'm like he's gonna get intercepted and he did I mean, the Big Ten title game is going to be like they need to they might have to call it at halftime. And I know you're going to say or somebody was going to say, but they have such a great defense. Well, they do have a good defense. They do have a good defense, but they have no offense. Like it's almost like, a you know, if you could rank them in the negative category, you would. And, and what's crazy about Iowa is they win all these close games. So anybody who watched that game would say those were two very similarly matched. Teams. Evenly matched teams. Yeah, evenly matched teams. And somehow Iowa is 10 and 2. And Nebraska's five and seven. And I would say that about the whole, I mean, I, the Big Ten West in general. Like, there was just a bunch of, you know, middling teams. Northwestern actually ended up going seven and five, if you can believe it, after beating Illinois. But Iowa just always finds a way. They beat Northwestern 10 to seven. They beat Illinois 15 to 13. They beat Nebraska 13 to 10. Like, these are all games that could have gone the other way. And so when they run into a team that is decidedly better than them, like they're not going to beat Michigan twelve to ten. Like they're just not. What about you? Anything else from the Thursday Friday games? Um, just the the spectacle of Iowa. Like it is such you know it's a ten win team. 
it is a 10 win team. It is like, I'm glad we have like a great, we have truly a great, um, I know I took issue with you using the word great, but we truly have a great Iowa reporter, Scott Docterman on yes. that. But um, watching Brian Ferentz, and I'll, I think I've said this to you before, like I do have, having covered Kirk Ferentz and done a bunch of his TV games, um, you know, a lot of respect for him. And there is got to be something to be said for winning so many close games. Like how emotionally strong must those kids be consistently to, I mean, they're a 10 win team. There are very few, and I don't know how many, cause I know there's certainly four in the big 10, but there are not a lot of 10 win teams in power five football right now. There's not, it's, it's an absolutely crazy phenomenon that they've managed to win 10 games with the worst offense in the country. Um, it, it defies like any analytics or logic or, or anything you want to say. And, um, I saw somebody after, but you know, People got a little caught up in the moment Friday, and I saw a couple mentions on Twitter of Kirk Ferentz should win Big Ten Coach of the Year. Sorry, no, you don't get to win Big Ten Coach of the Year because you overcame your own miserable offense that you assembled. Um, this was not some external adversity. This was your own self-inflicted adversity. But 10 wins is a great season. Iowa fans don't have anything to apologize for. I don't think it's going to go well in Indianapolis, but then they're going to go to the Citrus Bowl and maybe beat, you know, a, a, an Ole Miss or a Tennessee, and that'd be a phenomenal season for them. So this weekend is when it gets very chaotic, I know for you in particular, as somebody who chases the coaching carousel, because these things are going on simultaneously. We're covering Ohio State, like during the Ohio State-Michigan game, Michigan State announces they've hired Jonathan Smith, which... It's kind of the worst kept secret at that point. I mean, it was basically lingering over the Civil War Friday night. It was, yeah, for like three days, it was pretty much something people knew that they were targeting him. I think it's a great hire for Michigan State because he, you know, Mark D'Antonio's whole thing was, okay, we're not going to out-recruit Ohio State and Michigan, so we're going to find the hidden gems and we're going to develop them into NFL players. Well, guess what? Oregon State, who won 10 games last year and 8-4 and four this year, Damian Martinez is one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, same deal, if not, you know, if not more. Like they don't, they, what do they sign top 50 recruiting classes and compete with the top teams in the Pac-12? So in that sense, um, it makes a lot of sense. I just feel so depressed for Oregon State fans. I really do. I mean, over the span since August, just Everything you assumed would always be hold true about your program, right? You're a Pac-12 program. You could be like your conference falls apart. You're one of the only two schools that doesn't find a new home. And Jonathan Smith is your former star quarterback. And maybe it was never realistic that they were going to hold on to him forever because these, you know, even if the Pac-12 had stayed together, these Big Ten and SEC schools have more money. Uh, but I just think it it hurts real bad for them right now. And now the portal is going to open. And I just think by this time next year, Oregon State's going to be in rough, 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 rough shape. I think um, a, a week or so ago, I talked to one of the coaches on the Washington State staff. And I was like, hey, because obviously, you know, they had this long losing streak after they start out fast. And one of the things that that came up was they had a bye week after they beat Oregon State, and they were rolling. They were 4-0. Cameron Ward was playing lights out. And then it all fell apart. And the, one of the coaches I talked to said, you know, when the bye week happened, I think a lot of the 
uncertainty and the craziness of of all this Pac-12 stuff really landed with those kids. And they were all over the place emotionally. And not only that, like it was, if you look at how what happened to to Washington State, it was like one week the defense was terrible. Another week right. this was, you know, it was like it was, it was take your turn at 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 screwing it up. And I think it's a good, you know, we've had a bunch of good reminders of they're still college kids. And I think this, and again, as you said, feel for the, you know, I get why Jonathan Smith would do it. Jonathan Smith is like, having gotten to know him over the last, you know, five years, especially West Coast guy grew up in, grew up in LA, you know, like the big Dodgers fan who still tries to watch him, still tries to have some, like, he's one of the more normal coaches i feel like i've gotten to know in terms of like still tries to find time to watch his kid play high school sports when he can can work the schedule around and i feel like in corvallis he probably was able to manage that pretty well i don't know if it'll be i imagine it'll be harder to do that in the big 10 at michigan state what i think definitely you know i would like if i was a michigan state fan about this is he took that program out of the ditch and that's what Gary Anderson left it in and, you know, go from like a one win team to a 10 win team and not, it didn't take that long. They also did it in the shadows of a much more research resourced, big brand school at Oregon, which is like less than an hour away. You have a similar dynamic. The only thing is Michigan state obviously has been in the playoff and has had a lot more success and a lot stronger history. And you know, I just think it's like, okay, this guy should be a really good fit here. So I think I like you, I think this is a really good hire for Michigan State. Um, I do want to pivot back to into Texas AM. And I want to ask you this because this is something that I'd reported uh Saturday morning on Big Noon and on the Athletic as well. You know, one of the like big swings that AM search was gonna try to take was just to see would Ryan Day actually consider it? You know, would he consider leaving that? Because on one sense, you're sitting there thinking, why? You know, like you have a better job in the conference, which, yes, they are. Life could be pretty, pretty miserable if you're in the middle of you're 39 and three in the conference, except the three losses all came to your hated arch rival. Um, with Texas and M search as it's gone, they have some good choices in the, you know, already in there in terms of Mike Elko, Lance Leipold, Chris Kleiman from K-State. But then it's like, okay, it's Texas A&M. We need bigger names. We knew that Mark Stoops was going to be a candidate. Well, then Mark Stoops becomes a candidate. People think he's going to take it. And then it's like, it goes up the flagpole and Texas A&M, you know, board is basically not. not Yeah, let's, let's address that because you know, yes, you went on the in the morning and reported they were going to go after Ryan Day, but it seemed like by that evening, they had decided on their coach, and it was Mark Stoops, and 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 I think everybody found that to be very underwhelming. I don't think they had decided that. I think there were people there who who were like, okay, let's do it, but clearly they hadn't decided that. I think that was one of those where I think it got a little too far, um, maybe with like, oh, he's definitely taking, he's definitely leaving, and then it was like, okay. They weren't all on board on that. Well, yeah, you got to, um, you know, these coaching carousels, it's not done until it's done. And, you know, you'll see reporting to the effect of something's done and it's not yet done. And that was clearly the case there. But I don't necessarily buy Mark Stoops' statement that he was like, ah, you know, people mentioned my name and 
I just couldn't leave this place after such a big win over Louisville. Like, if A&M really, really wanted Mark Stoops, Mark Thank Stoops you, would be uh, I think John Sumrall would be the coach at Kentucky right now. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, so, so my point is everybody assumes they want to make a big splash, but they do want to make a big splash. They, I mean, I know this, they have reached, you know, like the question is, you know, I don't know how real trying to get Dabo Sweeney is. I think that at least on the Texas NM side, they're going to try to swing for the fences now. And they have, you know, like once the Saturday games were over question is, the balance of who really wants that job compared to who wants, you know, wants them, you know, if you're Ryan day, even if life is, you know, is, is gotten a lot harder with losing the third time to this, just feel like you're, you'd, if, even if he really considered it, you'd be trading new, you'd be trading old problems for new problems kind of deal. If Ryan day left now, I mean, wouldn't he look like a coward? Like, oh, I just couldn't beat these guys, so I'm getting out. Like, he has won a he lot of games. Beat, he has beaten Michigan before. It's not like he hasn't beaten them. No, but he, he I mean, look, it's it can't be that fun to be him right now. He, no, he's, I, he's two years in a row started 11 and 0, which is, you know, something to be celebrated. And then all anybody's going to talk about is that he can't beat Michigan. So I guess I could see him being like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, but then, you know, let's say you did go to Texas A&M. Well, now you're going to be measured by whether or not you beat Texas. Like, wherever you are, there's a rival that everybody's going to... You're not even measured by that, though, Stu. Like, if, like, yeah, I guess they get they're going to play them. You're ultimately going to be measured. Like, it, if you go to Texas A&M, you still have to... You have to do stuff nobody's done there before. You have right. to go to the playoff, and eventually, probably within five years, you probably have to win it. But you I do think you're play. underestimating how much that Texas rivalry is going to matter now that they're in the same conference. I think it's going to matter, Stu. I'm not underestimating. I'm just saying I don't think it's the di- it's the exact same dynamic that what's hard. I think what ma- has made it harder for Ryan Day is that Urban Meyer went seven and zero, and everybody connected to that knows it. And then all of a sudden. You know, Ryan, you know, one, 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 and then the last three years have gone the way they've gone. And I think it's really hard if you're a head coach with a pretty young family in the middle of that fishbowl, you know? And so, like, isn't this, is this, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to bring this comparison into it, but remember, like, Kirk Herbstreit lived in Columbus and he's from there and then he ended up moving because it's, it's such an intense, yeah, such yeah. an intense dynamic. Well, what I would say, though, is, and I said this, I think, on the podcast last week, wait a year. Michigan, I just mentioned it, like Michigan's going to turn over probably 80% of its starting lineup. Who knows if Harbaugh will still be there? You know, Austin Meek wrote a great column off the game, our Michigan writer, where he kind of referred to it as the end of an era. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to fall apart, but, you know, you might have a much better chance in next year's game. And also... With the 12-team playoff, I mean, I don't think we're going to really know until we get into it how much this is going to change how people perceive their season. Like, if you were to talk to an Ohio State fan today, I'm sure they would say, season was a failure. We didn't beat Ohio State. We didn't make the playoff, we don't think, at least. Failure. Next year, same thing happens. But then what if they get in the playoff and win some games? You know, they're always going to want to beat Michigan. That's never going to stop being important. But it's not going to be... It's not going to necessarily ruin your whole season anymore. Like 
And it almost didn't last year. They almost turned around and won the national championship. So, uh, but I think the the you know they're still assuming Ryan Day is still Ohio State's coach next year. I think he's got to figure out like what is our identity. I feel like Michigan got in his head, and you know we saw it with the Lou Holtz rant. Like people are saying we're not tough. We're going to be tough. So they, you know, they they played a kind of a different style this year and ended in the same result. Like I get it. You didn't have. Justin Fields or CJ Stroud, so you weren't going to throw it 50 times a game. But at least in those days, I knew what Ohio State's identity was. He's the quarterback guru. They've got these great receivers. Uh, I don't know what it is now. So he's going to have to figure that out going forward. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Uh, all right. The Sunday morning, we are recording this um, Sunday morning Pacific time. It's almost 2 PM Eastern time. And there's been a flurry of firings already today. Tom Allen out at Indiana. Can't say I'm surprised about that one. Dana Holgerson out at Houston. Uh, what else? Dana Dimmel out at UTEP. There's, you know, some smaller well, ones. We won't get into that one. <laughs> uh, so, there's a couple names now that you're seeing get mentioned for every any time one of these jobs opens up, right? Lance Leipold, uh, especially with these Texas jobs. Um, you know, uh, Jeff Trailer, UTSA. Um, we're just recirculating these names now. Like just early, early leans here. Let's just focus on the Power Five ones, um, Indiana and Houston. So let's talk about let's talk about Indiana. Um, so I think this will be one of the jobs that you could get some like intriguing names that are, that are coordinators have a shot at this, right? Um, Tom Allen, defensive guy. Yeah. The thing is he had a couple of good seasons. We think of it as only the one season where it was the pandemic year where they finished 12 number 12 in the country. But they were like 11 and five in back to back years in the Big Ten. And then NIL came in and they didn't have a plan. And that program sunk. You know, they still played hard, 
but it just sunk. Now, the guys I've heard who could be in play here. So we mentioned Sharon Moore before. I think, you know, Sharon Moore has proven to people, if they didn't know already, that he's capable to taking over a program. He could make a lot of sense for them. The thing is, if he waits two months, I think there's a decent chance he could be the head coach at Michigan. You know, and if if he had, like, if you're sitting there wondering, is he ready for it? I mean, he just beat Penn State at Penn State and beat Ohio State. I don't think he's going to be able to, sh- I don't I don't know who's going to show them that they're going to be much more ready for that job. Now, it's Michigan. If it does come open, they're going to swing big. But he's a guy I think is a real, you know, name that they would consider. Ryan Grubb, who I believe is also a candidate for San Diego State. He's the Washington offense coordinator, by the way. His mentor is Kalen DeBoer, who was a really good OC at Indiana. Justin Fry from Ohio State. He's their associate head coach. And he is, he played at Indiana, is very connected there. I think he's a guy who will interview well. I think he will get consideration. Then another name that I know you're really familiar with and have some mixed feelings on, Tommy Reese, who has done a really good job leading the aforementioned Jalen Milrow into a, uh, you know, really starring role there at Alabama in his first year. He's only 31 years old because I think once you get past that group of names of, 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 uh, assistants, he started getting into like some solid group of five guys, but you know, whether it's Jason Candle at Toledo, Kane Womack, who had been at Indiana as a DC at South Alabama, even Chris Creighton, um, at Eastern Michigan, I'm not sure. You know, if you're if you're Indiana, I think they're going to as much as they would want head coaching experience. I think they have to be open to who do we think can really jumpstart this program and get people excited again. What about Kane Womack, he was there. Yeah, no, I'd mentioned him, yeah. um, and he did a good job. Like, look, last year they won ten games. That's a program that never had a winning season, and South Alabama got it going. They obviously whipped Oklahoma State earlier this year in Stillwater. They didn't have a great season beyond that. They were six and six. And I feel like um, JMU and John Summerall and Troy have kind of taken a lot of that conference's energy. But he's a good coach. I think he will get looked at. He's only 36, but people at, you know in Bloomington liked him. Um, to me, he'd be one of the more attractive, reasonable options for them on the on the if they're going to try to take a group of five head coach. You said an interesting thing there about the NIL situation in Indiana. You know, there was a, a reaction to the fact that Indiana is paying $20.8 million to buy out Tom Allen. It's the third highest buyout on record. And look, this we all know the, the model is broken and these schools waste money left and right. The point was made like, well, if they could have just taken some of that money and put it toward NIL to actually get some players, that would be a much better use of that money. I get that, but even if Indiana suddenly had $12 million in their collective to spend on NIL. Does anybody really think they would five stars would suddenly start flocking to Bloomington? Like people, when they talk about NIL, talk about it like every recruit in America is just going to go to whoever the highest, who makes them the highest offer. They're still, they're still putting strong consideration on who's going to put me in the league, where am I going to have a chance to win championships? I just think that Indiana job, whoever gets it, is going to be, it's always been a hard job, and I think it's about to get even harder in the expanded Big Ten. Um, Houston is an intriguing one because they have had success there at the group of five level. And 
you know, and, 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 and this is exactly what I saw coming before the season. Like people want to amp up for this new big 12. Um, like I would think that'll be a desirable job. Oh, heck yeah, it will be. You have a lot of talent. You have, you have improved facilities. The thing that's tricky about that place, you have like wildly, <laughs> uh, unpredictable leadership there. It is a really volatile leadership group. You know, they ran Tony Levine out of there after three years and they, they ran major Applewhite out faster and Dana Holgerson won 20 games the previous two years and they still ate a big buyout. Um, I think there's some bigger names on this. Now I'd heard Willie Fritz is a guy they're going to make a, make a quick call to he's done really well at, at uh, Tulane. You know, I think he's last year, 12 and two this year, 11 and one spent a lot of time in the state of Texas and he's 63, but I don't think that should be a deterrent to them. Um, Jeff Trailer, a Texas high school coach who's done really well at UTSA. Trailer does have a $7 million buyout. Somebody had mentioned this to me on Friday where they wondered if that could be scare off Houston, which surprised me a little just because they, you know, spending around $15 million to get rid of Dana. But, you know, is that combination tough? There's a big name out there who wants to get back in, and that's Gary Patterson. Uh, I'd love to get your, th- like, let me go through a couple names, then you come back to Gary Patterson for me. But uh, Barry Odom, we've talked about him a lot this fall. Great first season at Vegas. He's from Oklahoma. They were 9-3 and three at a place that only had one winning season. I think he would be a reasonable option. Um, of the guys who have head coaching experience, then there's G.J. Kinney at Texas State. He's, this is his second, you know, two years ago, he goes to Incarnate Word, goes to wins 12 this year. Texas State, good first year, wins seven in a place that hadn't been winning. I just don't, I, as much as I think he's respected, I just don't know if if they would think, all right, we're going to take him over some of these other guys. Let me ask you first about Gary Patterson. If Do you think that would be a good move for Houston? No, I don't, I don't think it would. And I have all the respect for what Gary Patterson achieved at TCU. But, you know, how far removed is he at this point from his last good season at TCU since he's been out of it for a couple of years now. I no, I, I see, I get the, I get why there'd be interest, but I don't see it of the names. You said, I think if they can get Willie Fritz, go get Willie Fritz. He's a great coach. I mean, Tulane for so long, just didn't go to any bowls. And now they're playing this weekend for their second straight new year, six bowl. Uh, you know, he could be, frankly, he could be there. Lance Leipold, there, Chris Kleiman. Um, he doesn't need to be there, Lance Leipold, because Houston's been good. Yeah. And Kansas was awful. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, just a guy who, he's not going to be flashy. He's not going to come in and, and you know, win the press conference. He's just a really good coach. There was a guy you mentioned back when we were talking about Indiana that I, I don't understand why Chris Creighton never, ever, ever gets in contention for these jobs, because that's another one where, Eastern Michigan, just terrible for two decades. And they're a regular bowl team now. And they every seems like every year or every other year, they knock off a Big Ten team. Um, surprises me that his name never. I feel like everybody wants the up and comer, the young up and comer with the flashy offense. And so some of these guys who've been around the block for a little while get overlooked. Uh, the other coaching thing that I'm keeping an eye on. So two weeks ago, it was the first time I started thinking is Chip Kelly in trouble at UCLA. Then he goes out and beats USC. 
Okay, he's won everybody back. They laid an egg Saturday night. They lost 30-7 to to Cal, who gets bowl eligible from that. Um, he finishes his the season having gone exactly 500 in six years at UCLA. There's not a lot of excitement around that program, and they're about to go to the Big Ten. Um, at this point, and I hate to say this because we both love Chip, but I don't see how he, they can bring him back and have the fan base be excited about that. That would be a major domino if that comes open. I don't think the I don't think this program is committed to. It's not operating the same way as a lot of other programs we're talking about, though. You know, I mean, are they going to pay a buyout that's still not small by UCLA standards? You have a chancellor who's going to be leaving there soon. I just don't. You know, they don't operate in the same way. I mean, ultimately with with UCLA, and it, I think I didn't realize didn't really sink in until last night. When UCLA has Garbers playing, they're pretty good. When they don't, they're struggle. And that's yeah, Dante what, Moore just wasn't ready. To play Dante Moore, yeah, is struggling right now. And so there's that. They didn't have Colin Schley, so they were basically had to ride it. Um, it's a good win for Cal, by the way, for Justin Wilcox to get bowl eligible. They almost beat USC, but that's a good win. But I just don't think if you're UCLA – they go seven and five. They did beat USC pretty handily. I'm not sure if the expectations like of of what the U, UCLA brass wants compared to what we in the media think they think they are going to be. There's a disconnect there. Like nobody, nobody's exciting the fans anymore at UCLA. Like even when they started to win, I don't know if there was that much buzz around it. It's just I don't know. You talk to guys who coached there. And it's just, they're not committed to football that much. It's just, and it, I think it gets further and further from that when they're going to be going into the Big Ten. They're certainly not committed to it like the way Oregon is. Well, if they aren't committed to football and they're going to the Big Ten, be prepared for them to go three and nine a lot. I mean, it's no, like, I, why I mean, do you... I think will be committed to, like, you still have half the Big Ten, which, is, which was the schools in the Big Ten West. So everything you're saying is correct about that administration and and the just general apathy there. But why did you go through all that? Right. You're, you're blowing up rivalries. You didn't do it yourself, but you led to the end of the Pac-12. You're going to send your, you know, all these great non-revenue teams across the country. Why do all that and settle then just settle for mediocrity in football? Like if you're going to do all that. You should go all in and and try to be a contender in the Big Ten, and it just seems like a lot of trouble to be like uh, seven and five, beat you know, going to the LA Bowl sounds good to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I I hear you. I definitely hear you. That was a dud of a performance, and it's like I don't know. I, I think after they got past U, USC, I think people are like, okay, this job, and you know, the people I talk to, you know, in USC leadership. Or UCLA leadership felt like that, and so I don't, I don't think they pivot back to that at this point. No, you may be right. Um, you probably are right, to be honest, just because it's such a unique place. But for a guy to be in, not a lot of places, a guy can go five hundred over six seasons and and keep that job. Um, any other dominoes we should be on the lookout for here in the next week? Good question. I mean, there's a handful of smaller things that I think could pop open. There's going to be a lot of coordinator moves that are going to happen now, too. But 
Um, I don't know. I think the big thing everybody's keeping an eye on is what happens with in College Station with Texas A&M. And then the other thing is, is if we don't already have enough going on with the last week of the season, the championship uh, picture, the coaching carousel, the portal opens a week from today. Uh, our friend Andy Staples was at the uh, Michigan game, and he's going to be doing a live show all day on December 4th. That's what this is now. I mean, this is the opening of free agency or trade deadline or whatever you want to call it. And I think that first day we are going to see, you just can't predict, right? Like transfers used to be guys not getting enough playing. Like uh, nobody's going to be shocked if Malik Murphy enters the portal, right? The Texas quarterback who's kind of stuck between uh, Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. There's going to be some established players who just get a great NIL deal and go in the portal and shock everybody. So or think they're getting a great NIL deal. Don't you think at this point, like we know tampering goes on. Don't you think these guys know what they're getting when they enter the, the, the really good players? They, I, I think, and I know this now, I think there are guys who think they know what they're getting and sometimes they're not getting it. That's what's I, I, I think that's absolutely true of like mid-level players who somebody's in their ear saying, Oh, go to this place, you know, some like low level agent, go to this place. You'll get $200,000. But for instance, from last year, a Sam Hartman, somebody like that has a pretty good idea what they're going to get. Like, that's what we're going to keep an eye on is the quarterbacks. And you had said a while back, you know, last year, a lot of big name quarterbacks entered the portal. um, And some of them ended up having huge effects on the season that there just might not be like so many because of that. So many of the great quarterbacks from the season are done with college. Well, one of the one of the names that I think there will be a big bidding war over, and there probably already is going on, to be honest, is the aforementioned Washington State Cougars quarterback Cameron Ward. You know, he's he started out his career at Incarnate Word with Eric Morris, then moved to Pullman, and he was really good this year. I mean, threw for almost four thousand yards, twenty five touchdowns, seven interceptions. Was up and down at times, no doubt, but I suspect he is a guy who is going to be getting a lot of offers into the seven figures to come there because he will be one of the top names at the market. This is also, by the way, why you're hearing, like, for instance, Dave Dorn, who, by the way, I got to give props to. They He did a great job this Nine and three. At one point, he changed quarterbacks, and then the quarterback decided to redshirt. So he had to go back to Brennan Armstrong. They beat UNC again. Anyway, he made a comment last night where he was encouraging fans to donate $1,000 to the NIL Collective because or else the roster is going to get poached. I think there's a lot of that going on out there where if you're at an NC State, a Kentucky, certainly in Washington State, it's in its own, in Oregon State, in their own dilemma of like, you better have the funds ready to re-sign your roster. Here's a good example. Somebody's going to come after, you know, last year, Arizona lost a, a bunch of their best players due to USC. Is somebody going to come after Noah Fafita now that he's established? Sure, himself? they will. Sure, yeah. they will. But I so think does Arizona have the NIL money of it ready to basically re-sign him? Yeah, I think if you're him, I think if you're Jed Fish, I think you really try to sell. Hey, we are developing you. We're the ones who believed in you. Um, you know, and and go from there. His best friend is the star receiver, who was actually the big get, who who came first or came part of. You know, was the big big one who came and blew up first now it's his turn and they've been a really good story so um are we doing a podcast on wednesday the mailbag again uh i don't know why we wouldn't 
Um, I, I am getting back my original computer when I get back to town. Um, so I, I can tell the story now of what happened on the flight here to, or I'm sorry, on the flight to St. Louis for Thanksgiving, I spilled Coke on my uh, keyboard. Do you know what that does to a laptop? Fries it immediately. What kind of Coke did you spill on there, by the way? Regular Coke. And, and I don't want to throw this woman under the bus completely, but I'm, I guess I'm going to. I mean, it was the flight attendant handed me one of, you know, they think they're doing you this great favor by filling it all the way to the top. But I didn't realize that. And I think I grabbed it a little too hard. And so, But it wasn't even that much. It wasn't like I spilled a whole cup of Coke. I spilled like, I would say, less than 10 drops. That does it. Like, that's enough. Do you think she was a Michigan fan who'd read some of your work and seen some of your tweets that was like, I'm getting this guy? No, because that was the flight to St. Louis, not the flight to Detroit. So anyway, then I land in St. Louis and I immediately run to the Apple store, which miraculously had an appointment available. And they're like, well, it's a good thing you have Apple Care because this is a fortune to repair. We have to ship it out to somewhere. Um, but we can do it. When I get back to California, I will go back to my old computer where I can. Oh, but you know what? It's going to have reset everything. Well. I'll figure out the password at some point. Uh, we'll get those emails back. I'll get those emails back in time for Wednesday. It can't be that hard. Send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com and hopefully they don't go into a black hole somewhere. And uh, we'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?